Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Reloscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions in life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back to Reloscope, the Relationship Science Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti, and joining me today is Monica Kalra. Monica, welcome. Thank you so much, Aditi. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to chat to you today. So you are a experienced divorce and relationship confidence coach, um, and you're really passionate about empowering women and relationships. Um, and you're all you're big on encouraging women to take back their own power and own agency in their relationships. Is that correct? Yes, you got it right. <laughs> I just want to make sure that I got everything right. Um, and and you, you work a lot with victims of abuse and prior victims of abuse as well? Yes, that's part of it. I have two types of clients. So yeah. I work with people who have divorced. And at mm-hmm. the same time, I also work with people who, or women specifically uh, who want to improve their relationship. So they're still in that relationship, but are struggling and want to improve it. So I've got two types of clientele. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, It makes you kind of the perfect person to chat to us today. Our episode is going to be about moving on after a separation and and learning to date again after a separation. Um, But I, I wanted to learn a little bit more about you first before we kind of talk to that, uh, talk talk more about that. Um, I We've got a segment called Have You Met Monica Calvara? And we've got a couple of very quick and easy questions to ask you. Are you ready to answer them? Yes, fire them. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, what is your favorite book? Um, I would say Michael Neal's The Inside Out Revolution. What is it about? I don't think I've heard of that book before. So it's basically about the three principles. It's based on the three principles that were given by Sydney Banks. Um, and these principles are mind, consciousness, and thought. So we primarily talks about the idea that we are constantly feeling our own thinking. Wow. Therefore, we create our reality from the inside out. It's never anybody outside of us. You know how we blame the other person and our partners to say, hey, you are responsible for hurting me. That's never the case. It's always us, our own thoughts, due to which we create our own reality and due to which we create stories and we dwell on them. And then at the same time, we are responsible ourselves for inflicting pain on ourselves and suffering on ourselves through our own thoughts. Yeah, no, that's so true. I definitely have experienced that myself um, in the past. I totally get that. Um, What about a favorite movie? Do you have a favorite movie? I would say The Sound of Music. Yeah, that's a classic. Yeah. It's my favorite musical too, so I get that. <laughs> um, what about a podcast that you've been listening to lately? So I listen to two of them, depends on what mode I'm I'm in. Um, there's one by Esther Perel, Where Should We Begin? And the other one is um, the Self Healer Soundboard, 
by the holistic psychologist Dr. Nicole Lepera and uh, Jenna Weekland. So both of them, I am generally when I'm driving, that's the time when I'm listening to them. Okay, cool. Uh, we get recommended Esther Perel's um, podcast a lot, I think, on the show, but not the second one. I think that's the first. So I'm definitely going to check that one out. Certainly. You'd love it. Uh, what a, Do you have a famous role model that you've looked up to? That's an interesting question because mm. I don't believe in role models. Um, I definitely have been inspired by a number of people. Um, and just to name a few of them, one of them is Esther Perel, then there's Ram Das, or there's Brené Brown, or um, you know, it, um, or Sydney Banks. Well, there are many people who have inspired me on my journey because they've helped me to rediscover who I am um, and also to accept myself just the way I am. And I say this primarily because uh, when I'm dealing with my own clients, um, especially the ones who have been in abusive relationships, they lose their sense of self. So when I work with them, it's about rediscovering their sense of self and, and to let them know and to feel in themselves that they are whole and complete. So it's not about putting anyone on a pedestal and to say, oh, that person is my role model. So I really don't have any. Yeah, I think that's such a wonderful answer. It's kind of like learning the worth in yourself and, and, and learning how to look up to yourself in a way. Yes, because we are all complete. We are all whole. And yeah. it's not that the other person, the other person has their own, you know, they have their own issues, which we don't see them. But, you know, but we look at them as though they know everything, whereas we are the ones who don't know. Whereas we all have answers within ourselves. So it's not about anyone. Yes, somebody might have read more or somebody has more experience in something, which is different. And that's where we can get inspired by, by them rather than having them as our role models. Sure, that's really beautiful. I don't know how to segue from that into the next question, <laughs> but uh, it is thankfully our final question of the segment, which mm -hmm. is what is the last course that you completed? <laughs> um, so many, many of them. So obviously my own accreditation as a relationship and divorce coach. Um, apart from that, um, this year alone, I've been, I've attended three very major courses. Uh, two of them were from the Landmark Forum. And um, the last one, which I just completed, was Joe Dispenza's um, progressive and intensive course where he explored the idea of meditation and visualization and how we can create our own reality through them. Um, in saying that, I would like to mention that anybody who is dealing or who is assisting people therapeutically uh, not only do we have to complete our own training, at the same time, we have to continually upskill ourselves through various professional development courses. And I am no exception to that. So I make sure that I am constantly doing my own inner work because the deeper I can go within myself is the deeper I can take my own clients. So it's really essential that I'm getting to learn myself more and more. I won't say that I know myself completely, not at all. I'm just peeling one layer after another. And that's where I can assist the others. Yeah, no, that's that's wonderful. And I think it's also a constant journey of figuring out, you know, who you are and learning yourself as well. I don't think there's ever a point where you fully know who you are and that's okay. Yes, definitely. It's just accepting wherever you are because that's where you're meant to be. 
Yeah, no, for sure. I love that. I think that's a really great way to end our segment and and then kind of segue into um, the main point of our, our show today, which is separation, um, dealing with, sorry, dealing with dating after relationship separation. So the, the, the brighter side, the moving on. Um, something I like to ask all my guests to contextualize um, our conversation is how do you define a relationship, specifically a romantic relationship? So I would say a romantic relationship is one where there is an emotional and social connection between two people. Mm -hmm. And it basically involves components like emotional bonding, trust, mutual respect, I would say effective communication, empathy, collaboration, and individuality. In saying all this, these are all ideal components. Uh, because when the clients approach me, they have their own challenges and I accept them with their challenges because not everyone is able to have these ideal components in their life. If we did, then we'd have perfect relationships and there would never be an idea of relationship separation. So um, the partners need to understand, you know, that um, it is important to feel safe in a relationship. And at the same time, um, you know, that it requires work and we have to be ready to do the work in a relationship. So when they approach me, I accept them, as I said, with their challenges, help them to heal first and then to feel safe in that relationship so that they can be vulnerable in their relationships. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That I think that's a great way to kind of describe it. Do you do you feel like in your experience relationships have changed um, o- over the past few decades, whether that be in meaning or structure or importance? Such an interesting question because I can go on and on for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll yeah. mention a few few areas where I feel that there has been a considerable change. So as I just said that so far as the meaning structure, and I think you said importance, there has been a considerable, they have evolved over a period of time. Though there are certain components like, you know, emotional connection or trust, communication, they've remained constant. However, there's a notable shift in how relationships are now understood or even approached. So the various fields, you know, just as I mentioned, The first one that comes to my mind is gender roles and equality. There's a notable shift there. Um, And basically, we all know that relationships is all about teamwork. Mm -hmm. However, now the team roles have changed. Mm -hmm. So when I say that, it is like, let me give you an example. So when the clients approach me, I help them to break down their generational patterns. Um, When they come to me, they have a specific idea that this is how their partner should be based on how they've lived, based on how they grew up and based on what they saw their parents or grandparents. And this clashes with what the media presents. So there are expectations there. And we all know in any relationship, if you have expectations, then there will be, there will be resentments, there'll be blame game, there'll be frustrations, anger, and so on and so forth. And now when I say that the team roles have changed, so instead of expectations, we need a different set of skills. 
And mm-hmm. this set of skills comes in the form of agreements and which might seem new to certain people. And it definitely is new to my clients as well. So what I mean by agreements is that you form agreements on various issues, on any of the issues that you have to deal with. It could be it could be about how to resolve conflicts or how to share responsibilities in the house or about your financial matters or your date nights or anything that you want. So these are co-authored. These are co-designed. You can negotiate so that both the partners feel seen and heard in the relationship. In that way, you are creating an intentional relationship. Um, the other field that I would uh, that I can think of is regarding so uh, the society's values and norms. So I deal with professional Indian women or women of color who yeah. are balancing their traditional expectations with the modern so- societies that they live and work in. And we know that traditional expectations have very well-defined roles. Whereas now the idea, and that's where the shift has been, is about joint decision-making. It's about sharing responsibilities together. So that's another field. Um, The other field that I can think of currently is about technology. Yes, technology has brought people together. I mean, now if the two of us can have this interview, it's because of technology. However, it's come up with its own complications as well. Um, it has led to a lot of isolation and also loneliness. So what that has done is that there is an increase in affairs. There is infidelity. There is earlier in traditional societies, it was very difficult and hard to be discreetly unfaithful. Whereas now it's much easier to have affairs. There's issue of pornography. On top of that, what technology has done is Um, Like earlier, if you were getting married to someone, then somebody in the family or somebody amongst your friends knew that person. Whereas now, when you're dating online, you've got the world at the tip of your finger. So you've got unlimited choice. It can be thrilling. It can be exciting. Yes, I understand that. However, it can be equally dangerous because you are meeting complete strangers. This leads into yet another problem that now... People are continually searching and swiping for that next perfect partner. So they're never satisfied with one person. They always feel, oh, maybe the next one is better or the next one or the next one. And so there's this continual search for a perfect partner. Another area that I can mention and think of is about personal growth. So I'm seeing that when people are in their relationships, um, especially women, they're consuming more podcasts, they are uh, attending more retreats, they're more seeped into personal development. So earlier, there was this stigma of approaching a a coach or maybe a marriage counselor because that meant that your marriage wasn't working and you had to save your marriage. Whereas now, it's not about saving your marriage. It's about improving your relationship. It's improving your marriage. So I think so far as the meaning, the structure... And the importance of relationship is concerned. There's been a considerable and a notable shift in all of them. Thank you so much for answering that question. That was, I I think, such a beautiful answer um, to 
why things have changed so much, I guess, in the past few decades. And I think it was really important when you pointed out, you know, culturally there are those changes as well, that not everyone, not everyone of every cultural background changes in the same way. I, I think that's an important thing to note. Um, I guess I wanted to move on to the next, my next question, which is, you know, relationship separation and focusing on that issue in and of itself. How do you define relationship separation? So I would say that it's the end of the partnership. Mm -hmm. um, in saying that people begin to live separately and there is no physical, emotional, financial connection between them. Um, and it's important, it's interesting that you asked that previous question about a notable shift because there's a notable shift here as well. <laughs> because um, earlier when people terminated their relationship, there was no contact between them. Whereas now the shift is that some partners still continue to be friends. They may mm -hmm. have ended the relationship, but they are still in their life. They're still in the same social circles. And at the same time, we, I also noticed a rise in amicable, um, cooperating, co-parenting. Mm -hmm. So there's a shift here as well. Yeah, for sure. I was actually going to ask about co-parenting and, and where that comes into it, because clearly people, when you have dependence, it, it makes separation all that more complicated. Yes. Yeah. What, where does emotional intelligence come into this? We're, we're looking, we're talking about dating after an, after a separation of a relationship. What does emotional intelligence look like while on a date? Very interesting. <laughs> Basically, emotional intelligence is that you are able to understand your emotions, you're able to manage your relationships, and at the same time, you're able to express your emotions. So we can always, um, so there's a difference between emotional understanding and emotional intelligence. So if we have the emotional understanding, then we can increase our emotional intelligence. And when it comes to dating, it can play a very, very important role. So it allows us to be um, self-aware. When I'm talking about being self-aware, in no way am I implying being selfish. It's about being aware of your own emotions, whether you understand them or not. Supposing if you've gone on a date, so and you are feeling um, frustrated there because the, the person has said something. It's about emotionally regulating yourself so that you are able to still be with them and answer appropriately and manage your own emotions. So when you are on, on a date, emotional intelligence primarily is all about you, how you are showing up. It's never about the other person. It's all about you. That's how I see it. Similarly, uh, so I've mentioned about you need to be uh, self-aware, you can manage and regulate your emotions. Similarly, if due to some reason there is a difference of opinion and you feel there's a rupture, there's a conflict there, so you are still showing up with grace and with respect because um, you're managing your emotions, you know you're regulating your emotions and yet you are there, your presence makes all the difference and you're being respectful to the, to the other person. It's also about being empathetic. That's what em emotional intelligence allows you to. 
so the other person is when the other person is sharing their emotions or their perspectives or their experiences you're validating them they may be conflicting to yours however you're still validating them so that the other person also feels seen and heard and and you're being empathetic because empathy leads to a uh, building a greater and a deeper relation with the other person the other thing that i would mention is about social awareness so emotional intelligence allows you to accept the social and cultural differences especially because we live in a multicultural societies and we see so many people going on dates with people from different cultures so it's about being able to accept those differences and at the same time accept their comfort levels and how different those comfort levels might be okay. so in all the scenarios emotional intelligence primarily allows you to um, respond constructively appropriately and at the same time being conscious of yourself at all times as to how you are showing up in that relationship mm-hmm. yeah for sure i guess you know being all of that can be quite difficult i think after a separation right because because separation dating after a separation is just an emotionally taxing experience how can building that emotional intelligence help navigate the experience of dating after a separation that's such a beautiful question and that very question led me to write my own book one of since i've written two books and one of them is how to heal from a toxic relationship um every time that we have a relationship separation due to any number of factors you know um either there's pressure from family or friends to get into another relationship or there might be uh, pressure on your own self and you want to show to the other person hey i can find someone better than you or i can get into a relationship as soon as possible so you want to jump into another relationship or there could be um that you are so gripped with loneliness that you want another partner as soon as possible so you jump into another relationship whereas that's the time when you really need to slow down you need to take that pause from all relationships and it's about healing yourself it's about ensuring that you are doing your inner work it's about understanding your own neurobiological wiring you know it's about making sure that you are tending to your inner landscape there is inner searching taking place rather than um finding that perfect partner because if you heal yourself then you are likely to get into the next relationship based on your desires rather than on your fears and at the same time asking yourself that question would i date myself yeah and if the question is yes i can date myself perhaps you've been able to develop that self love for yourself it's about you know it's about making sure that um you know you put that mask on yourself first you know just when we go on a plane you know that give you those instructions put that mask on yourself first so it's about making sure that you put that mask on yourself you understood your own emotional patterns you know you are able to fill your own cup of self love first and anything that you get from the other person that is an overflowing cup 
you know, and then that relationship will be a beautiful one because you've tended to your own emotional wounding. Yeah, for sure. I think it's 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 kind of like um, making sure that you have taken the time to fully heal but- or at least heal enough that you feel comfortable with sitting with the rest of it before you can move on and start dating other people. Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. Exactly. What are some of the misconceptions around dating after a separation? Because I know a lot of people can feel, one, jump into relationships very quickly to kind of fill some sort of void. Uh, but also, two, there's the opposite end where they would don't want to enter a relationship at all. Um, again, what are some of the misconceptions around that? I think you've already answered two of them, but I'll still take them on because these itself become emotional baggage as well for the next Mm -hmm. relationship. So the one that you mentioned was about uh, rushing into a new relationship. So it's never a good idea to rush into the next relationship instantly. It's about healing yourself, as you just mentioned. It's filling your own cup of self-love. It's understanding uh, why that relationship, the previous relationship became peer-shaped. It's about taking responsibility of what was your role in that relationship. It's very easy to blame the other person. And as I mentioned earlier about, uh, as well about the three principles where you take responsibility for your own actions. So you look into yourself as to what the story is. Am I making stories about the other person or is it my role somewhere? So it's yeah. about healing. It's about doing, tending to your inner landscape, as I mentioned earlier. The other thing that you mentioned was that there are some people on the other spectrum who don't want to get into a next relationship because they feel, oh, what if the next relationship turns out to be just the way the previous one was? Yeah. Uh, however, I believe that if we have done our inner work, then we are attracting people of a different frequency. And then whoever comes in your life It's about looking with an open mind, with a fresh perspective, because every relationship is unique. It's not that if you've had one failed relationship, you're likely to have all failed relationships. Yes, that might happen if you are jumping into the next relationship too soon. But if you've done your work and if you've healed yourself, then it's most likely you will be able to settle into the better into you will find a much healthier and happier relationship a bit later. Um, The third misconception that I generally see is, which I hear from my clients often is, do I have to tell them about my previous relationship? And I would say it all depends on your comfort level and at the same time, the stage of your relationship. So maybe initially you're not very comfortable, you know, you're still getting to know the person, you still, you're not really, you really aren't certain whether this person is the right one for you. So you can set your boundaries accordingly. However, in the long run, it is really important. That's how I feel. This is, I personally would say it's good to open up. It's good to be transparent so that you're, next relationship, they can understand where you're coming from. What was your wounding? What were your triggers? Because the more vulnerable you are, you know, you are able to build a healthier relationship. And there's that transparency as well. So 
you develop mutual respect and trust based on your vulnerability based on your transparency and also based on your authenticity yeah um there's yet another misconception that i see and this also becomes a baggage for the next relationship and that one is that people feel oh once i find him everything will be okay for me whereas that's never the case we cannot take our emotional wounding into the next relationship it's very important going back to that same thing it's very important to heal ourselves it's important to do our inner work first before we get into another relationship because nobody can save us each one of us have our own unmet needs from the childhood and we've uh-huh. got to tend to them we've got to recognize them and understand them that this is our work it's not someone else's because if you're putting it on someone else to sort it out for us they will run away because they've got their own triggers to handle and yeah. it is very difficult for them to be able to manage your emotional wounding so i think those are some of them that i feel are some misconceptions and the baggage that we take with us in our next relationships yeah absolutely and i guess speaking of emotional baggage and i i realize that this is quite a big question that warrants a very big answer but how do you deal with emotional baggage from previous relationships i mean you chatted a little bit about how being vulnerable with a new partner can be part of that but i'm assuming that you have to get to a certain stage of a relationship before that can happen yes certainly yeah. so i i mean i think i've kind of primarily answered most of it in, yeah. and i i would just be repeating myself um so it's all about doing your own inner work your own healing and at the same time understanding yourself people who are in the abusive relationships as well um and why relationships become peer shaped is because we don't take a responsibility for ourselves it's all about blame game it's all about shoving our resentments under the carpet whereas it's understanding them it's about working on how to handle conflict it's about taking responsibility it's about ensuring that it's not the other person it's about taking pause even during a conflict you know that simple pause can go such a long way because most of us already have an answer in our mind we wanting to uh, react and you know it's about taking that pause between um between that impulse and that response so that you're not responding with a view to um respond reactively but to understand the other person yeah yeah am i correct in assuming that part of this process also involves learning from the previous relationship so learning the lessons that it had to teach you certainly and i'm and i'm glad that you brought it up because i tell my clients that the previous relationship is primarily a golden nugget because it came into existence to teach us something and we've got to learn so much from it and that involves whether it was our unmet needs whether we were unable to set boundaries or whether you know we were not able to communicate effectively so why was it that it became peer shaped so that period the previous relationship is your golden nugget because that helps to teach us or from where we can learn about more about ourselves rather than the other person and then work on those aspects yeah absolutely how 
how do we communicate our emotions and especially our boundaries to potential partners? Because boundaries are a big part of it, I'm assuming. Yes, certainly. I mean, um, I think everything begins with the idea of self-reflection. So being aware of our own emotions, being aware of our own needs, being aware of our own boundaries. I mean, even though I was in a relationship for 21 years, I was married for 21 years. And when I ended that relationship, I was still not certain about my needs. It was only later on that I realized that, oh, these were the basic needs of a relationship. So most of us don't even understand, don't even know what those needs are. And very often I come across clients who do not even understand what emotions they are feeling. Forget about feeling in the body. They don't even know. They can't even recognize and name what emotions they are feeling or forget about tapping it into their body. So that's one of the work that I do with them about being aware of our own needs, emotions and our own boundaries. So what's not sitting in my my body? Because the body is the wisest You know, it can tell us instantly, but because we've disconnected from our body, we do not understand what our boundaries are. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, with your partners, making sure that you choose a right time and a right place. You know, you choose a time that this is the time both of us will sit down. And I suggest spending at least 15 minutes at the end of the day without any interruptions, without children, without in-laws, without anybody, mm-hmm. or are you sitting down and tapping into the well-being of each other and trying and understand each other's boundaries, each other's emotions, and what the needs are for each person. And at that time, it's about, we use this word called fracking, all right? No fracking at that time, and this is an acronym. So mm-hmm. no fixing up of anyone's emotions. Um, would go with no rescuing at all. So it is what they are experiencing. They've got to experience it. They've got to sit with it, with that emotion rather than say, oh, don't feel this or don't do that. We're killing the experience of someone. So no fixing of an experience, no rescuing of any person. No advice. Uh, F-R-A-A stands for no advice to the other person. We all know what we want deep down. It's just we've got to tap into ourselves. The other person does not know our situation better than we ourselves. No complaining in a relationship, no complaints ever. And then K stands for killing of experience. So no killing someone else's experience. If they're sad, they're sad. Just get over it. We can't, that's what they're feeling. And it's okay for them to feel the way they are feeling. And also for us, because we are unable to sit with intense emotions. And that's Mm. where emotional intelligence comes because then we are able to tap and sit and ride through that wave or whatever intense emotions that we are feeling. I think there's a yeah. scientific research which says that um, any intense emotion only lasts for about 90 seconds. But we're so scared to feel them that we want to run away from it as soon as possible. The other thing is in any relationship is to use the I statements. And when I say I statements, because it's very easy to say, you didn't do this, you were not there, you didn't, you know, it's not about that blame game, it's about I. How am I feeling? And there's a way how you communicate your boundaries and how you communicate your needs. And I do that. I explain that to my clients and we go through it and we practice and we do a lot of role play because when the I statements come, then it's about taking responsibility for your role in why there's a conflict. What did I do? Did I roll my eyes when he reacted? We are more 
we pay more attention on the fact that he uh, slammed the door and went out of the out of the house but we yeah. do not reflect on what we did prior to that which triggered him to slam the door and walk out so it's about taking that responsibility the other thing is people um also do not understand how to communicate effectively so it's all about active listening you know as steven kavi says it's not to uh listen with the intent to understand rather than to respond similarly it's a two way communication you know making sure that you're understanding the other person as well you being very clear and specific about your needs about your boundaries about your emotions rather than being vague or you know or being you know just trying to avoid the situation because you can't tap into your own emotions or you don't know your needs um at the same time i would say being really respectful and using that constructive language taking a pause and i would highly mention here that a relationship is is like a triangle so there are three sides to it it's you him and the relationship itself it's not about being right it's not about um it's not about you are a team there are three entities it's not about win and lose if you are winning in an argument then your partner has lost which means mm-hmm. your relationship has lost so it's making sure that all the three entities there is a win win situation for everyone mm-hmm. and that's how the relationships become successful so taking that pause you know just a 20 minute pause you know there's a meditation that i teach where and you can regulate it's called the center meditation where you regulate your emotions and tell the other person i'm coming back in 20 minutes rather than being reactive in a situation so also asking clarifying questions because sometimes we may not have heard it properly but when you're paraphrasing you are uh, you know reflecting back to what somebody has said then you can ask those clarifying questions and most of all people take their relationships for guaranteed and they say oh once we are in a relationship we are in in it forever whereas this is another notable shift here whereas it's about seek it's doing work on the relationship relationships are a continual work and for that you might even need to see a coach for it and there's no harm in it because you are yeah. not saving your relationship you're improving on it so yeah. seek the support of a coach who can be like this third party who can be a neutral party you know who's not likely to collude with any one of you but who can hold the mirror for you so that the two of you can become closer so i think those are some aspects that i would recommend in order to set those um set those boundaries i was i'm curious because i was listening to all of those tips and i'm thinking you you work a lot with with women of color how do they take on a lot of that advice because i know culturally we are taught the opposite of a lot of those things certainly i mean it definitely comes as a challenge initially but that's the way to go about it you know i mentioned earlier the team rules have changed relationships have evolved they are no longer those traditional roles where everyone had a well defined role this is what the father did this is what the mom did this is how the in-laws were you know we all had well defined roles whereas now there are no such roles there because it's all become so blurry and at the same time we are in in different countries now you know mm-hmm. and therefore certain cultural and social norms don't work uh, i mean if 
just a simple example, like back in our own countries, um, um, if a woman was expected to cook or she was expected to do the dishes or do the household chores, maybe it was fine there. And even things are changing there as well because everyone's working now. Whereas when we're talking about being in Western culture or in societies that we're living in at the moment, the woman is working as well. She's coming back after work, tired, exhausted. So there has to be shared responsibility so far as the household chores are concerned. Um, and that's why, even though I work with women, but sometimes um, I do see some men come over and they want to seek my, um, seek my coaching as well. And it's really interesting. It's really heartwarming when men come over because here, then we have a relationship, we have a partnership or relationship that they are getting into where men are taking equal responsibility as well. And I'm seeing quite a lot of that happening as well because everyone wants to improve their relationship. And at the end of the day, it's about who you are being in that relationship. Are you being a victim or are you being an owner? So if you're being an owner, then you're all taking responsibility and you're all taking ownership and accountability rather than getting into that victim mentality and blaming each other. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I'm i gonna kind of move on now to our practice slash mm -hmm. habit experiment debrief in, in which we try and take some of what we've learned or all of what we've learned if that's what you're capable of um, and, and try and put that into practice somehow. So Monica, did you have a practice that either you have used to improve yourself or recommended to a client um, to improve navigating dating after separation? What's something you would recommend? Um, I would once again go back to doing your own work first. So relationship mm -hmm. separation is an emotionally devastating experience. So it's very, very important that um, we do our own inner healing first. We tend to our own inner landscape. And I'm repeating myself here because it is essential. It is, it is foremost if you want to date again because it's important uh, if we've done that work on ourselves, then we, as I mentioned earlier as well, we will be finding someone of a higher frequency than we were previously into because we've done that work. The other thing that I would suggest is when you are dating, um, we all know that during the honeymoon phase of the relationship, you know, there are, there's a rise in certain hormones, you know, yeah. whether it's dopamine or serotonin or whatever. And then we become silly in love. Yeah. And we sometimes do not see the red flags in a relationship. So it's a good idea. That's what I recommend to my clients as well. It's a good idea to get your date to meet your family and friends so that they can observe them. You know, they can observe you, how you were showing up. Was the other person being genuine or not? And you don't have to take their feedback on board, but it's good to gather as much information as possible. Yeah. The other thing that I would recommend is a, a practice that I recommend is using that first year of your relationship as a phase of curiosity, you know, where you're learning about each other. It's not about jumping into that false sense of permanence. You know, some people even call it as the phase of auditioning. But I'm not saying that it's a phase of testing each other. It's about being curious, getting to know the other person 
and you can get to know the other person there are a couple of um couple of card games now available i'm aware of esther perel's uh, a game of stories where you can play those games where and ask and be curious and learn more about the other person spending that 15 minutes together to understand each other you know and to debrief at the end of the day the other thing that i would recommend is making sure that if there is a conflict because my clients come up with the idea that there should never be a conflict in a relationship okay mm-hmm. the moment there's a conflict it's gone peer shaped it's not like that as all at all love and conflict go hand in hand both of them just like you have summer and winter you have hot and summer love and conflict go hand in hand and it's not always that if you had a conflict that means there's a rupture no 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 if there is a conflict may not it's possible there may not be a rupture however there may be just a difference of opinion which can be resolved through a conversation through effective communication through um, clarifying questions reflective listening and so on and so forth however if there is a rupture and that's where the main thing comes if there is a rupture then we are following a cycle so there's a rupture there is repair and there's reconnection people mm-hmm. don't do the repair because they're so scared to be vulnerable because they feel they'll lose the relationship so soon after a rupture they want to come to reconnection and they shove the resentments under the carpet and these mm-hmm. resentments over a period of time they um they can have very serious consequences on the relationship so making sure that you're following that cycle of rip, uh, rupture repair and reconnection another thing whilst i was speaking to you that's come to my mind is which is another r- notable shift that i find and you mention about culture in our cultures we've been taught to sacrifice ourselves all the time putting ourselves last on the ladder the notable shift is that both of you are 100% 100%. So you need to take care of yourself and you are not and I repeat myself you are not responsible for caring for the other person because he is equally capable of looking after himself. In our cultures we talk about 50% 50%. The other person is called as the better half. You know we complete mm-hmm. each other. That leads to codependency. Yeah. All right and Bollywood songs are full of all these songs you know where they really what, are <laughs> and what i'm talking about is being 100% and 100% if the other person needs your help you can calm them you can regulate them so that both of you are supporting and challenging each other you're looking after yourselves you're supporting and challenging each other so that you are a safe harbor for each other and at the same time you're a launching pad for each other So I think those are the practices that I generally mention to my clients. Yeah, no, definitely. I think there's a lot um there's a lot to take away in there. I really like the idea of of a card game to kind of get yourself comfortable with someone, especially dealing with that nervousness and that anxiety around going on a date after, you know, having dealt with a pretty awful separation, having something having a set almost like a script even to to help you go through it can be really really helpful for sure um i guess 
my, I want to move on now to um, our questions from the audience. You have given such wonderful answers that you've actually addressed the majority of the questions from the audience. Um, but there is one that I wanted to talk about um, that I don't think we t looked into enough, um, which is this question sent in, which is, are there any specific red flags or warning signs that we should be aware of while dating after a separation? What should we be on the lookout for? The question doesn't specify whether that's in ourselves or in the other person. It's interesting you mentioned that because one of my books, as I mentioned that I've written two books, my first book, because there are series, my first book is called How Do You Know He's the One? And it talks about those 10 red flags. It talks about those 10 unhealthy behaviors. Along with that, it also mentions about the loving traits that we should see in a relationship instead. So um, just to mention a few of them there, uh, one of them could be gaslighting. Uh, I think in the British Dictionary last year, that was the most, uh, that was one word that was looked at the most um, as to what gaslighting was. So gaslighting primarily is that um, the other person is primarily trying to, um, I can maybe explain more through an example. Yeah, absolutely. Go for um, it. So maybe you know, an incident happened in your life between the two of you. And after some time, the person says, oh, that's not how it happened. No, no, it wasn't like that at all. You forgetting this or you've gone completely mad. So they are undermining what had really happened and they are trying to change the reality for you. So that is primarily kind of an example of gaslighting in its simplest form. Yeah, yeah. There, there could be red flags in the form of um, you know, future faking. So they're constantly trying to show you a bright future. Oh, we'll do this or we'll do that. Whereas, you know, there's inconsistency between their action and words. So you've got to be mindful of how many times are you going to accept it? You know, so you've got to set your own boundary there. So things like that, I mean, reading my book would be really helpful to understand them better. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the uh, the answer is we've got two red flags and then read Monica's book <laughs> in order to learn more. Um, thank you for answering that. I'm sure the person who sent that in will really appreciate it. Um, I'm now going to move on to our final segment of the episode, which is called our open mic. It's when I keep my mouth shut and let you have a mini TED talk about whatever you feel was important to address at this stage of the episode. Monica, what did you have to kind of say for your open mic? Um, I will go back to the question of emotional intelligence, because if we are emotionally intelligent, then we can set a very strong foundation during dating. And how emotional intelligence helps dating is through a couple of ways. So emotional intelligence allows you to have a better friendship with your partner. We all know that friendship fuels the flame of romance. So making sure that you become friends with the other person because happier relationships are based on a healthier friendship. Yeah. So making sure that you're friends with them, you're curious about them. You know, you're getting to know about them. You're remembering their important, uh, important events. You know, also being aware of their triggers. The other thing emotional intelligence allows you to do is that 
um, it allows you to practice appreciation. We teach our kids to say thank you. However, as grown-ups, we forget to thank the other person. And we know that fondness and admiration, both of them, they are antidotes to contempt. So if we are not appreciating, then we are criticizing. And criticism leads to contempt. Contempt leads to emotional detachment. So making sure that you are saying thank you often for any little thing that they've done and not just to say, oh, thank you, you know, but specifying why you're being grateful to them. Like saying something like, oh, thank you for dropping the kids today because you knew I had an, I had an early meeting. You know, specifying that reason as well, catching them for all the moments when they've done something for you and then being grateful for it. The other thing that I would suggest is um, making sure that you are taking joint decisions. Because if you are not honoring the opinion of the other person, of your partner or of somebody who's dating, then there is an imbalance of power. Then you're being disrespectful. So it's making sure that you're being thoughtful and you are taking decisions jointly. The other thing that I would suggest is don't let your problems ever slide by. Making sure you're following that, I'm reiterating myself, that you follow that cycle of um, rupture, repair, and reconnection. And lastly, that I would suggest, which goes a long way in developing healthier relationship, is sharing rituals, coming up with rituals and following them for years on end. And these rituals could be going on a date night every Friday, going for a walk on Sunday morning, you know, getting up by ensuring that one of the partners is always getting tea ready or going around the garden in the morning, any ritual it could be, you know, yeah. always following it because ultimately you are a team and you know, it's not about a win, it's not about a win-lose situation. It's about a win-win situation for both of you. And at the same time, relationships require work because things are changing. You know, our society has changed, seeking the support of a coach so that who can hold a mirror for you, all right? Because family and friends tend to collude with each other, with some, with one of you. Whereas a coach holds a mirror for you and it br and the coach brings the two of you together. Yeah, absolutely. That third perspective is, is so important, especially when you're trying to, uh, when you're in the thick of it, when you're going through conflict or when you're in that honeymoon phase, like you were talking about, very difficult to, to see the reality um, of the situation. So it's always helpful to have that third unbiased eye. Certainly. Yep. Yeah. Monica, thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciated talking to you. Where can people find you if they, if they, if they want to hear more? So I am on Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Um, I'm in fact more active on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Uh, at the same time, I've got my website, uh, monikakalracoaching.com. So I write a blog there. Uh, I have a newsletter that goes out. So there are loads of tips that I provide to people. At the same time, I also have a Facebook group. So if people want to join that, they're more than welcome to be a part of our circle and be, uh, and be there and yeah, seek guidance and support. And most of all, uh, I provide one-on-one -on -one coaching. I also do group coaching. So if anyone is interested, seek out, come over. It'll be lovely to speak to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Monica. Um, I've had a wonderful time and thank you so much for being on the show.
Thank you so much, Aditi. My pleasure and thank you and my honor for having me here. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Lab. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel, as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found at re.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kuti. Thanks for tuning in.